good morning. We welcome you all to this Palm Sunday morning that we can celebrate together. Let's pray. Father God, we welcome your presence. Jesus, we thank you for your love and sacrifice. And Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would guide us. Amen. Please join us for the reading for this morning. Um, I'll read the leader part, and Olivia will be reading the congregational part. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, comes directly from John 12. The instance for which Palm Sunday derives its name, in which the people of Jerusalem paved the streets with palm branches and garments, an ancient version of a red carpet, for Jesus and the donkey colt he rides upon. Earlier in the text, Mary pours a pint of expensive nard, a costly essential oil, on Jesus' feet. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The one we have long awaited, the Messiah, has come. Hosanna! Riding into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a young donkey. Hosanna! The Prince of Peace has come, the one who heals our wounds. Hosanna! Everything that was foretold, Christ has fulfilled. We offer sacrifice and praise of thanksgiving. We set up a banquet and pour costly perfume at his feet. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Jesus. Whose name is glorified. This is Jesus. High and lifted up. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay. Please rise with us. Um, we are going to sing Jesus Strong and Kind. We've done that a couple times. Um, and we will enjoy the palm branches being brought around us as well. Oh. 
ask you to stand for the last song. singing. You may be seated. I'll give you a chance to look up in your scriptures, uh, in your Bible, the scripture verse for today, and that will be Matthew 21, verses 1 to 17. Matthew 21, 1 to 17. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them here. If anyone asks you what are, you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately send them. This was done to fulfill the prophecy. Tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey even on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus said. They brought the animals to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their coats over 
onto the road ahead of Jesus, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. He was in the center of the procession, and the crowds all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was stirred as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the merchants and their customers. He knocked over the temples of the money changers and the stalls of those selling doves. He said, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a place of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him and healed them there in the temple. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw that these wonderful miracles and heard that even the little children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the son of David. But they were indignant and they asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, You have taught children and infants to give you praise. And then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. The reading of the word. Good morning. Please bow with me now so we can dismiss the little ones to children's church. Our God, we thank you for each and every one of the children in our congregation. God, we pray that now that they go to children's church, it'll be a good time filled with learning about you. We pray be with the teacher. We pray give them the words to speak. God, again, we thank you for all of these little ones. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Children off to children's church. You know the way at this point. Down the hall, that way. <laughs> Little stampede. That is wonderful. If you have your bulletins on you, pull them on out. Uh, first thing, we are going to be having communion after the sermon. Uh, if you don't have your communion glass with you, uh, you can find them right where you walk in the two side doors. There's a little table there. Next, uh, if you have your bulletins open, you will see that immediately after the service today, there is going to be a soup and bun lunch. All are invited for that. It has been three years now since the last one, 2019, and so I am excited for it. I hope you can uh, all join us as well. Uh, Monday, 1.20 p.m., Ladies Bible Study at the church. Uh, this Wednesday at 7 p.m., prayer meeting here at the church uh, at 6.45 p.m. That is earlier this week, uh, but youth meet here at the church. They are going to go to Southport. I, I'm guessing bowling. Rock climbing. They have everything in Southport these days. So rock climbing. That is going to be an awful lot of fun, and the youth are going to come back awfully exhausted. So 6.45 at the church. Next, 10.45 on Friday, Good Friday service. That is always a wonderfully, uh, spiritually edifying time. And so I would encourage you to make it out 10.45 on Friday for the Good Friday service. Uh, then Sunday, 10.15 and 10.45 for coffee and the Easter service uh, following that. If you look at the bottom, there is one note to be made. Uh, April 24th is when Sunday school is going to begin again, so very excited about that. But on that next line where it says, please check on the back table, I will apologize for that. That should not be on there. Uh, we are far ahead of that because you are actually going to be getting your yearbooks in your mailbox, hopefully by the end of today. And so again, I want to say thank you so much for uh, Carrie for all of the work that you do, and also for Laura as well. All right. Then let's look at the prayer items. First off, prayer for our church as we go into Holy Week, as we see our Lord walking towards the cross, uh, and then the wonderful that follows. This is always a time of reflection. This is always a time of going deeper in our faith. And so this is a week to pray that we see Christ like never before. So I would ask all of us to pray for that. Uh, the next one, safe trip home for Peter and Laura. For those of you who didn't know, my in-laws were out this past week. Uh, there is a very big storm on the way, is something you might also know, and so we want to pray that they get all the way back home without any problems on that front. It shouldn't be a problem, but at the same time, going through uh, northern Ontario when there is a lot of storms, that is a dangerous thing, and so ask prayer for them. 
Uh, Tina Taves is here. She has unfortunately broke her foot, but she is in good spirits. Uh, we want to continue to pray for quick healing for her. And finally, for Lillian Sawatsky's family. The funeral is this uh, afternoon after uh, the soup and bun. It starts at 3, I think is when people are taking their seats. The service at start starts at 3.30. There is going to be an internment as well as a reception to follow. So that is uh, 3.30 is when it starts, but 3 is when people will start taking their seats. All right, please join me now in prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning, first off, in awe of you. As we now head into Holy Week, out of Lent, our minds are drawn to the story of what you did for us, the steps that you took, the lengths that you went to, that ultimately ended in the cross, and also the wonder that came after that. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we pray that it is not lost on us. Lord, we pray that this year during Holy Week, as we look towards Good Friday and then Easter, new things about you will come to our minds, new things that will cause us to go deeper into our relationship with you, that will cause us to build your kingdom in the world around us like we never knew possible before. God, this we pray. And Lord, we also want to put before you today a number of people close to us. God, first we want to pray for my in-laws as they are off traveling on the way home. Personally, I thank you that they could make the trip out to see little Mary and us. God, I pray that on their way back, it'll be a safe trip. I pray it'll be a good trip for both of them. And I pray that when they get home, they will find themselves with so many pictures of the good time that they had, that it'll be with them for the years to come. But God, we pray for safety as they travel. Lord, we want to pray for Tina. Lord, we thank you that the doctors caught and Tina caught that her foot was broken. And God, as she heals now, Lord, we pray that the healing will be quick. We pray that it'll be only a memory soon enough. We thank you that her trip out west went well from this. And God, we pray most of all, thank you for Tina. And God, we want to bring the Sawatsky family before you this morning as well. Lord, we pray, be their rock during this difficult time. Lillian may have been ready to go home and see you, and that might be a wonderful, glorious thing, but we are left behind. And so God, we pray, be with the family during this time. Place the people that they need in their path. God, as we gather together this afternoon to celebrate your servant coming home, Lord, we pray, rise up the stories that we all need to hear, need to remember, to see her this one last time. God, all of these things we bring before you today, but most of all, we come before you in awe of what you did all those years ago. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles on you, then I'd ask you once again to open them up to Matthew 21. And there we read, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. This passage 
sees Jesus after an all, a long time now, uh, getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, finally, finally arrive. Just in time for the Passover festival, just in time to celebrate the festival that, as you might remember from when we looked at Moses way back almost a year ago now, is the festival that celebrates when God saved the Israelite people from the Egyptians, from uh, oppressive people. And Jesus has told the disciples that this day would come, that he would finally walk the streets of the holy city. He's done that a number of times. Remember the passage we looked at last week? And as we read that finally happened now, Jesus' predictions of his death that we also have encountered before, last week being one of them, but a number of times throughout the books of Matthew and Luke and the Gospels, those predictions of his death are going to begin to become clear. As the passage begins, Jesus sends out two disciples to a nearby village to bring him an animal to ride to Jerusalem. And Matthew, we are told that that is a donkey or a colt or possibly both. Those that know your animals know that donkeys give birth to foals, not colts. But here we have both and mentions of a foal. There's a reason why Matthew is being a bit vague here, making it sound like Jesus is riding at the same time on two different animals. We're going to get to that in just a bit. Somewhat miraculously, Jesus knows what the surrounding area where the animals are will look like. He knows that the owner is going to be there. He tells the disciples what to say if they are stopped, essentially stealing these animals. Say the Lord needs these animals. And soon the disciples return, critters in tow. After finding the place, just as Jesus described it. And while we're not told whether or not they encountered an owner, assuming they found the place just as Christ described it, we can assume they did. And we are not given a single indication that there is any pushback against the explanation that Jesus told the disciples to give why they needed them. They are needed for the Lord. That was enough. Undoubtedly, these animals would have been very highly valued and very closely tied to the owner's livelihood itself. But the Lord needed them. And so they were lent without any hesitation, any issue. And all this was done, we read, to fulfill the prophecy of when the king would return to Jerusalem. A very large crowd, we next read, spreads their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirring and asking, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus. This is the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That passage that Matthew uses from Zechariah that you see in verse 5, the passage that foretells that this king is going to be returning to Jerusalem. It's referencing something, as prophecies often do. The ancient Jews had a custom for when a king or great general returned from a wildly successful campaign. Said a little something in the blog this week, but it was called a parousia, and it was a custom that followed a pretty standard format. First, the king would prepare himself for his approach. 
He'd get his procession lined up. He would mount an animal to ride, typically a colt, a fresh, unridden war horse that the people would have seen as, as grand, as powerful, as exalted. But there was another choice too, and that was a donkey, the pack animal of the common man, humble before the eyes of his people. You want to be the first, be the servant of others. That comes to my mind when I see that. Then once the king was prepared for his approach to the city, that that is when things begin. For as the people saw their Lord approach, they would go out to him and they would praise him for what he had just done for them. For uh, Perusia was not something that was just held for the king if they popped out for a minute and then came back, no fuss. It was a triumph. These were the things that were held and for the victorious. These were the things that were the, the, the marches for people that actually did something to require that kind of praise from the people. And so... We see now our Lord approach holy Jerusalem, riding a colt, kingly and powerful, and a donkey, for he is the servant of his people. And we see now, as he approaches, that the citizens flock to him to witness his coming. For so very long, Jerusalem has not had a king of their own people. Not since the line of David had been taken into exile nearly 600 years before Jesus was born. 600 years. Now, O Jerusalem, now we see your king has returned. Jesus Christ is that king. Jesus Christ of the line of David. Jesus Christ, who is a descendant of the true kings. Jesus Christ, the one who taught across the Judean countryside, we have seen week after week over the last few months. Teach about a kingdom that is coming. A kingdom that he will bring that will see those low lifted up. See now, O Jerusalem, that your long-awaited prophet king, the Son of God, approaches your gates. And as he does, see how the people wave their branches. See how... We call out as he rides by, Hosanna, Hosanna. Complete joy in the one that is before us. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the rightful king. Hosanna, you have finally returned to sit on your throne. As we wave our palm branches on Palm Sunday, that's what we're saying. We are saying, this is our king. We are his subjects. Hosanna, the king has returned. Our passage goes on. Jesus enters the temple courts and drives out all who were buying and selling there. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he says to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. A final aspect of the parousia was that once the king arrived in his city, he would then perform some kind of religious rite. He would either hold a religious ceremony of some sort or some kind of cleansing 
of his city, some kind of cleansing of himself, some kind of cleansing of that which should not be. And so it is that Jesus Christ, the long-awaited king in Jerusalem, he enters the city and he goes straight to the temple, straight to the house of his father. Straight to the place just as many times in the past kings who had returned home victorious would have done. And as he enters his father's house, the house of our God, that which meets him, is unclean. There before him in the holy place are merchants and money changers. It's not that merchants and money changers are typically unclean for what they do, but when they're doing it here, when they're profiteering off the faith of people, when they're complicating the relationship of the people to their God, that's when we see our Lord turn the tables on the head. That's when we see him drive them out. Purified is the sanctuary from the defilers that were there. And then Jesus sees a lame man and a blind man, and he goes to them. You are healed, says our king to his most beloved of subjects. Blessed be the sick, blessed be the blind. And as the blind man regains his sight, so too do those who were in charge of Jerusalem at that point regain theirs. And our passage concludes. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, then they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them, and he went out to the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. I like that word indignant there. I suspect that's putting a bit of a mild spin on it. I suspect terrified might be a bit closer to what we should be reading there. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law had grown accustomed to a certain, let's call it a standard of living by this point. And that standard of living was afforded to them by the Romans who claimed ownership over the land. Keep the people in line, the Romans told the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Keep the people in line and as long as taxes are paid, we will be fine just having a light touch and letting you do the rest. So that is what these stewards did. They kept the peace and they grew powerful and rich off the backs of their kinsmen doing it. And right away you hear echoes of what we have talked about a year ago now when we look through the Old Testament, and the same thing happened then, which the Lord returned. And as they kept the peace, these stewards, undoubtedly that meant that when now came someone to their city who threatened that peace, now came someone from the countryside riding a colt, riding a donkey. Now came someone to Jerusalem proclaimed by the crowds to be the son of David himself. Now came someone to the temple purifying it, flipping it on its head, and healing those they encountered. Now as they continued to try desperately to keep the peace by keeping those under them in line, There came before the chief priests and the teachers of the law a man hailed as the rightful king of Jerusalem returned. And so as Jesus went to Bethany that night to sleep, the stewards in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, 
they begin to wonder to themselves, how are we going to keep the peace now? How are we going to keep things as they are now? How are we going to keep the Romans from stepping in now? And after some time thinking about it, crucify him in all of the ways that can mean is the answer they found. Our passage today, it's an interesting one with implications that run pretty deep for how we run our lives. Did you know that the celebration of Palm Sunday, that's, that's old, like really old, well over 1,500 years. Third century is when we first get some picture. It would look very different than what we do today, but third century is when we're getting people beginning to celebrate Palm Sunday. For all that time, Christians across the church, across time, across space, across creed, across nationality, across every boundary that the church has ever encountered, have for Palm Sunday done something to relay that we too, while we were not there physically, are nevertheless among those throngs gathered outside Jerusalem proclaiming to the world that this man who is riding up to the gates he is our king. Throughout this long history, as we have waved our branches as we do now, we've celebrated Palm Sunday. This is what we have been declaring. This is what we are saying when we celebrate today. Christ is literally our king. That is the correct use of literally there. Earlier in the Gospels, before Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, again and again, there are a number of times that he is told not to go there. The reason being that if he does, surely he will be put to death. The implications being that as long as he stays away out in the countryside, he, he will avoid that fate. While undoubtedly Jesus is saying a lot of things that would not sit well with the chief priests and the teachers of the law to say nothing of the Romans, to them, out of sight, out of mind, he's in the countryside, so they can't be bothered to go out there and deal with him. But just as much as the story of Palm Sunday is the story of us acknowledging our king to the whole world, it's also the story of another thing. It's also the story of when the we-can't-be-bothered-to-deal-with-him approach that the powers that be were employing to Jesus, that approach changes. Just as much as Palm Sunday is the story of us proclaiming Jesus is our king, it is also the story of why Jesus first became marked as a dead man walking in the Gospels. The reason why Palm Sunday is the story of both of these things is because we proclaimed him as our king. We gave him a king's welcome, even. We did this was in every way a direct threat to those who fancied themselves the one in charge. After all, what need is there for a steward in the city once the king has returned? So the threat to them was removed. I'm saying this because it is no small thing what we do reenacting Palm Sunday, waving our branches. As we do this, we are saying something just as pointed today as it was then. We are saying that Jesus is our King. But when we do that and we mean it just like the Perusia outside Jerusalem painted a target on Jesus and the kingdom he had come to build. When we claim that same thing in our lives today and we live that out, we are refreshing the paint. For as we proclaim that Christ is our king, we tell the world that ultimately the one in charge of us is not 
the chief priests or the teachers of the law. It's not the stewards who would claim to be our masters, but instead it is this man, the one riding on the colt and on the donkey. As we wave our branches, what we are proclaiming to the world is that we are first and foremost citizens of his kingdom, Christ's kingdom, that he has told us so very much about. To a world that often stands in opposition to what that kingdom means, that we are proclaiming it as our true home. That is still very much so a threat. It is no small thing to reenact Palm Sunday as we do year on year. For as we do it, we are declaring our allegiance to God and the kingdom he will see come. We are declaring our allegiance to someone other than those who would seek to claim it now. So this year, as we again proclaim that Christ is our King, let us do so keeping the weight of the implications of what we are actually saying in mind. Which brings us to the assignment for today. If we are going to on Palm Sunday announce to the world that Christ is our King, then we had better actually act like the citizens of his kingdom that we are now calling our home. If you want to be a good citizen of the kingdom, then that impacts your relationship with the ruler. That impacts your relationship with the other people. That impacts your relationship with the kingdom itself. That's what it means to live as a citizen of any place. So in your life this week, build your relationship with our returned king. Work to get to know him better. Read your Bibles, pray, prioritize church and talking faith with others. That's how you get to know your king. In your life this week, seek to build your relationship with the other citizens of the kingdom as well. And here, remember who it is that Christ teaches us time and a time again, who the kingdom of God will see risen up. So many have needs that they cannot meet themselves. There are those who are poor, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are persecuted, the peacemakers, especially the peacemakers just now. Those on the bottom of the pile. They need the citizens of Christ's kingdom to live for them, to show them and tell them that there is a God who is on their side. There's nothing about that life that makes you think that. We need to show that. Live for these people. Lower yourself to be their servants and you We'll be building your relationship with the people of Christ's coming kingdom. In your life this week, seek to care for the kingdom itself. Creation, our God tasked us to shepherd over, needs care. That's why we're tasked to shepherd over it. When the kingdom finally arrives, as we see at the end of Revelation it will see the world around us redeemed and renewed, not simply burnt away, discarded, so we can start from scratch. So care for this each which God has made and said was good. Care for creation, and you will be building your relationship with Christ's kingdom. On Palm Sunday, we proclaim Jesus Christ to be our king. So on the days following, we should live as citizens of his kingdom because if we don't, then how did we not just sentence our Lord to death by proclaiming him to be our king for no reason at all? So do these things. 
And you will show the people around you why Jesus Christ is the one true king who as Zechariah prophesied all those years ago has finally returned. Now, just how throughout the ages we have been bound to the rest of the church and how we celebrate Palm Sunday, the same thing can be said for communion as well. For as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are doing the same thing as countless believers have throughout all of time, throughout all of the world, both looking back and looking to the time to come. In 1 Corinthians we read, For the tradition I received from the Lord and also handed on to you is that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way with the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. Whenever you eat this bread then and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. McGregor EMC, we believe communion is open to all believers. We would ask that if you have a little one with you, parents, play it by ear based on what you know, whether or not they understand what it is we do. Before we have communion, Let's have a quick time of prayer. Put everything in us before our Lord. Our Lord, we thank you for all that you have done. Looking back on Palm Sunday, Holy Week, and what is to come, we don't even know where to begin when we describe your love for us. And so now, as we partake in communion as believers, across the world and across time have remembering you, God, we pray you impress on us just what this means. In your name we pray, amen. And together we eat. And together we drink. I ask that you now join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Once again, I'd like to invite all of you to stay for the soup and bun and potluck to come. It is a wonderful time, and I am so excited to be able to share it with you all once again. Our benediction today comes from the book of Numbers. May God bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his face and bring you peace. Go now and serve our wonderful God.